0: Join me in thanking our wonderful worship team and band. Thank you so much for leading us to the presence of our Lord. Good morning, Cornerstone University, faculty, staff, students, friends. It is my joy and privilege to be with you this morning. We've been praying for this day, praying that the Lord does a mighty work in all of our hearts and lives. And it's my joy and privilege to introduce our morning speaker to you. She is an innovator, a disruptor, a brilliant business leader, a fighter, a great leader. She is a national leading light in education reform, education choice, education freedom for all, a tremendously accomplished business leader, the 11th secretary for the Department of Education. But more importantly for us and for me is that she is a devout follower of Jesus Christ. And she works hard and diligently to work that out in her own life. And she loves the Lord, loves her neighbor, and loves her community. Would you please join me in giving a warm, cornerstone welcome to the Honorable Secretary, Betsy DeVos. Betsy, <laughs> right, so thanks again for being here. Please, please. Well, Betsy, thank you for joining us on this beautiful Michigan morning.
1: It's a privilege to be here. Thank you. I have it, to say, I was awakened by the Cornerstone University radio station this morning.
0: Oh, WCSG, great. The, great, <laughs> the best radio station in Michigan, right? Um, that's great. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us. And as I shared with you in, in, our, in our little green room, one of the things that we work hard to do here at Cornerstone is to introduce our community, our students, faculty, and staff to Christian leaders, Christian influencers. Last year, we had a theme on campus called Christ the greatest influencer. It's part of our mission, the centrality of Jesus. Share with us, through your incredible life journey and all that God has done in your life and through your life, the centrality of Christ and faith in Christ for every part of your life. How has, how has that been worked out in your life that we can learn from?
1: Well, Gerson, I had uh, the privilege of growing up in a home that um, had Christ at the center of it, and I, I believe my mom is here today. Yeah, I see her back there.
0: Great.
1: Um, <laughs> thanks for being here, Mom. Always my best fan. Um, and so I was I was exposed very early on to um, a, the centrality of Jesus, but I have to say my faith did not really become my own until I was well into my 20s and a young mom myself and uh, realized the responsibility that I had to transmit those same beliefs and values to my children in uh, an intentional way. So it's really been a lifelong journey, and I am constantly growing in my faith and constantly surprised by what God does, and um, it's, uh, it, it really is a journey. It's, it, it was not an event for me, so to speak. But um, I'm, I'm just really blessed with the people that have come around me over the years and encouraged me at different times and in different ways. And um, I, I trust and hope that all of the students here with us today are looking for those same kinds of uh, opportunities. And I think the thing that has become ever clearer to me as um, I've passed you know, every trip around the sun is the importance of noticing you know noticing what god is doing whether in your own life or in the lives of someone very close to you and every time i i notice something um i think that just ratchets up my faith a little bit more
0: Hmm. we shared you know in in the green room again this little room off to the side you just said something that that reminded me of our conversation there the important role that we have in sharing our faith. One of the leading causes, Cornerstone Community, for men and women who leave the faith is that oftentimes their own parents and families don't share their faith with their children. So the importance of transmitting our faith. So in in, in your incredible journey, business, politics, leading, serving, philanthropy, share with us how you share your faith with others how have you done it? There's so many ways of doing it. There's not one said blueprint, but the importance is it, is it was given to you by your mom who's here and others. How have you worked in your life to share with others as well? And how what would you advise us in that regard to do?
1: Well, I think there are obviously a lot of different ways of sharing your faith. And I have um, never been one. I, I don't, for one, I, I don't love to speak in front of people. And um, <laughs> my, you know, my roles and responsibilities have forced me to become more comfortable with that. But I think the, the, um, the ways that I, I feel most comfortable sharing my faith is by just uh, what I do and how I treat people. And, um, and when the opportunity arises to uh, give, give the reason for the way I treat people, to someone who is a skeptic or a, a, a non-believer, then um, I, I think I, I have a better opportunity to then ber- verbally express it. Um, so I, th- my, my, I think my most um, comfortable and, and hopefully, I, I don't know the effectiveness of it, but d- really, um, you know how I how I think about and treat other people, and I I think about. Um, One experience that I had a few years ago, we were, it was um, toward the end of my time in service in Washington and there was a day of prayer and I was walking with uh, one of my sisters and brothers-in-law and a couple of other friends and my husband um, and we were walking up the mall in Washington and then back down and we were close to the front of the Department of Education and there was a man coming the other way who recognized me and started yelling obscenities at me. And um, some who were with me were very incensed by that. And I just, it, first of all, I've got, I got used to things like that. So it didn't bother me, but I, in, instead of uh, like allowing and or encouraging others to um, you know, interact with that person on my behalf. I just said no. I think we had better just pray for that individual rather than confront or um, address them in any way. And a couple of the people who were with me later said, you know, that was that was really convicting for me because I, I would have, you know, gotten right back in this guy's face. And I, I just said, I that's not that's not my style. And You know, I always think about, I put myself, I try to put myself in that other person's position and know that that person didn't know me, they were just yelling something that they thought they should yell at me. And um, and I I just, you know, I I look at every individual as created in the image of God and with great potential. And so I, I choose to instead pray for and pray about those people. I do the same thing with uh, Randy Weingarten, one of my closest <laughs> friends. Yes.
0: <laughs> Betsy, you just shared, those. was sort of one of the last questions I had, but you in a way brought it up. There's so many ways that people speak about how Christians should engage or not engage in the public. Right? There's significant moves within Christianity that tell us don't get engaged. If you get engaged, you become filthy in the engagement. Stay away. Leave. Others engage and be active and vocal and perhaps in your face approach, right? Um, and then some middle ground. So there's so many different ways of doing it. Share with us what I'll call the Betsy DeVos model for public engagement. There it is, right? Um, what What does it look like? Because it's difficult to do. And you just mentioned a situation yeah. now, how difficult it is. How, what would you recommend to us or advise to us?
1: Well, I'm not sure there's an exact model. <clears throat> and I would say that you know, if there is a model, a Betsy DeVos model, it's it's uh, it, it's changed and it's iterated over time. Um, I didn't I didn't get involved in the public and in public policy because that was a goal I had. I was sort of compelled into it. You know, I got involved as a college student in politics, par- partisan politics, because I found it really interesting and fun. I in 1976 to put a date on myself, I was a, what was called a scatter blitzer for then President Jerry Ford. And what that meant was I was one of a group of young college students who went around to different states in our our region campaigning for President Ford to win another, win a full term as president. And I found that really fun and engaging and, and I felt like it was making a difference. And I never envisioned that that initial involvement in politics would eventually lead to um, you know, serving as the state party chairman for the Republican Party in Michigan, um, but I had, uh, I had a college professor then, his name was Paul Henry, and Paul Henry also happened to be our congressman for a period of time, and sadly died at a young age from a brain tumor, but Paul was very influential in um, in my engagement in public policy and in politics by encouraging me to um, you know to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that area of uh, of life, and so that encouragement plus the encouragement of others, but my own interest what what I really felt God called me to be involved with um, led me into those directions and. Many times it didn't involve a lot of vocalizing. Uh, you know, it was just showing up and doing the things that needed to be done. But um, you know over over time, as opportunities arose and it seemed the direction God was nudging me, um, I, I never set out to be a Republican state party chairman. I never set out to be Secretary of Education. What I did set out to do was try to help families with children, who wanted something different for their children's education but couldn't afford it because of their economic circumstances, that's what I set out to do. And those other, um, you know, those other opportunities and those other areas to lead uh, became available and I took that next step. And I've always looked at my journey as one of taking that next step um, without having a 5, 10, or 15-year plan for my goals.
0: At <laughs> you know, Cornerstone we speak a lot about vocation and calling and the importance of vocation, the importance of calling. In, in Christianity, I've, many times I have hear people say, I sensed the Lord doing this, or I heard the Lord doing this. How have you, throughout your life, discerned your vocation, your calling, direction, the voice of the Lord versus the voice of Betsy DeVos, how have you worked through that in your own spiritual walk professional life
1: that's a great question and one that um, i you know i've i've asked many many times and uh, sometimes and oftentimes it it, it really involves um, and if I, I think i I am getting prompted in a certain direction it, it involves you know talking with my uh, closest uh, friends and advisors, starting with my husband Dick, and um, and other times it's so perfectly clear to me that this is God's prompt that um, I report it to you know him or someone else and say, well, what you know, hmm. I, this is what I think I'm supposed to do. What do you think? Um, but it, I, I would I would have to say it. it it starts though with, um, be, I think, being always being receptive, and and uh, surrendered.
0: Hmm.
1: Not um, like I said, I, I don't, I, I've never been one to lay out a whole list of goals that I want to accomplish. I I really have tried to be available for that next thing, and um, I know that's that's not how many people are wired up. I understand that my husband's not wired up that way. Other, you know, family members are not wired up that way, but um, I, I think everybody has to to really navigate that themselves. And and if you are a person that um, has a real clear idea of what you want to do, I think you probably want to test that more with others when when you when you think God is calling you to do something, but you're not sure that it's uh, your agenda or his.
0: Let's speak about the role of others. Um, This, the theme for this year Cornerstone is Christ, our greatest friend. And we've spoken a number of times about friendship, the importance of friendship, the crisis of loneliness in our country, the importance of friendship, the demands of friendship. Um, And so share with us in your life the role of friendship and friends. Others in terms of calling, vocation, direction, confirmation, critique, how have you surrounded yourself with friends and, and just share with us just your view of friendship and how, the influence of it in your life
1: Well, friends have have been a very, very important part of my life and, and I would say um, important part of support and encouragement for me um, at uh, many different intercepts they you know they have and I I would just refer to, um, you know, the time that I spent serving in Washington. There was a core group of friends, um, one of whom took the responsibility to every month send out a new update and and list of uh, prayer concerns I had and or, um, you know, upcoming decisions and or life, you know, what was going on in, in the rest of life um, and she would she would take care of making sure everybody was aware of of uh, those needs and requests, and um, and and this whole group and it, and it actually the the core group was a group that we that Dick and I my husband and I had uh, pulled together in 1999 to go to Israel together for. Uh, Two two and a half week um, study tour with, and some of you in the room probably have heard of Ray Vanderlaan. um One of his uh, trips to Israel, and we that that whole group really bonded in in a very significant way, and we still get together almost monthly even now. Um, but they, you know, that group in particular, and and others were have been very. Um, very, very important to me in uh, at, at specific times and intercepts, and some of them uh, before I even have had to reach out on many occasions would call, just intuiting or or being mm-hmm. you know told that something was going on that they needed to needed to check in with me. So, yeah, friend, if, if the the friendship relationships are. Um, are absolutely vital in my life and uh, and I'm sure all of all of you in this room have uh, if you haven't fully realized it you will be you will realize it more as you um, continue to transit through life you know early on as as young parents um, you know being able to uh, sort of share experiences and and uh sometimes commiserate with other Mm-hmm. young parents about what might be going on in your families. Um, yeah, they're, they're, you can't overstate the importance of friendship.
0: You're an expert in education. And I want to ask you to to help us with the moral compass of education. You know, at Cornerstone, we're committed to what we say is a biblical Christian worldview. It's a key distinctive. Um, it's what guides us. It's our moral compass. Um, some will argue that that is actually not a good thing in higher education, that higher education shouldn't have any of that, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But share with us how moral, edu- moral formation, or perhaps the moral compass piece is so important to education, in your perspective, Betsy. And where have we gone wrong in our country in that sense?
1: Well, I, I don't, no education can happen without some kind of value set being taught and um, and arguably in the realm of K-12 education today, uh, over the last number of decades, we have, we have gone further and further away from uh, the moral foundations and the, and the sort of the tethering ideas and characteristics that um, should be transmitted to the next generation and we've we've seen that not only in uh, I mean everybody points to the um, the lack of outcomes in terms of knowledge and learning in uh, our K-12 system, but um, you know hand in glove with that is the uh, continued divorce of um, a moral foundation from what is being transmitted in all too many schools. And it, it begins you know, at the top with the system that is, uh, that is charged with running it. It's one of the reasons why I have fought for 35 years to free families from a one-size-fits-all um, government-assigned system for those who can't afford to make another choice. And I think we're seeing in many different respects today the results of, of that system that has that has gone increasingly farther away from uh, any kind of a moral tethering um, that, that we would that we would want to see and have for not only our own children but um, for our, our neighbors' children and for um, you know, for everyone coming up in the rising generation in our country, and um, for those who say that they you know, you do not teach values or morals in a, um, a K-12 setting, I would argue that, and, and, and that the, this notion of separating faith and or religion from education, um, you you do not separate those two it, because it's always someone's values that are being taught, no matter how you try to separate it and um, I think it's it's one of the most important reasons why we have we have got to change the model from um, a top-down system that sort of exists to serve itself and its agenda to one that is directed by the public by families to choose where their children can best learn, whether it's a, a specific pedagogy or if it's a specific um, values-based, faith-based education that they're seeking, um, That that is really ultimately where we need to head. Um, I believe, as a country, and obviously, I've been trying to make that case sure. for a long
0: time. Thank you, Betsy. I shared with you a little yesterday. I, I want to introduce this conversation to our students and faculty and staff. We talked a little bit about this the, with our faculty in the fall retreat, faculty and staff. But in August, there was a very a fascinating conversation in the New York Times entitled "What's Up with America's Misguided Obsession with Ivy League Schools?" All right. Um, and four of the New York Times opinion writers and one of the editors on the board had this conversation. And I want to share with our audience part of the conversation because it's very, very important given what you just shared with us. Uh, four individuals were, uh, were part of this uh, conversation on the uh, editorial board, and Ross Do That was the one who started and said this, uh, I sort of feel like the institution Harvard corrupted me, he writes, a little bit. Uh, That I went there as an ambitious kid, obviously, but mostly, it nurtured my ambitious side at the expense of my intellectual and moral side, and that's sort of what these schools do. It's not just that you go there because you're ambitious, it's also that they exist to teach you that you should want to be more ambitious than you already are. I don't think Harvard was good for my soul. The response from the editor, I'm not sure going to college is supposed to be nurturing your soul. And you talk about two very different positions here. One, and Ross has been on this stage in a wisdom conversation a couple years ago where he speaks college should be about nurturing your soul as well as many other things. But you can't ignore this most important part of us in the response, maybe it's not supposed to be doing that. And this raises profound question I think for K-12 education, for higher education, the nurturing of the soul moral formation, spiritual formation, what we need to do. So share with us your thoughts on this conversation and your work and what we should be thinking about even here at Cornerstone.
1: Well, this this uh, exchange, uh, or the essence of it, is really not a surprise. I mean, we've seen this uh, increasingly um, in higher education where uh, you know, the, the question around what what is education for, um, it, it's good that we are we are airing that more now and it's becoming more clear the divide between those who uh, like the you know the second individual here, Michelle, who, who who somehow thinks you can subdivide or you can you know divide individuals into into you know little pockets. Um, it, of course, college, is supposed to be nurturing your soul that that is i mean your soul and and uh all of that part of you it it's i mean it, it it's integrated into you as an individual like you can't sever that you can't separate that and you can either help nurture and grow it or you can help it die and um and and i think that you know Ross has called in the called out the question about what the direction that much of higher education has taken today for and, and the experience that young people are having um, with without the moral formation as so as you know now we're seeing um, some of the results of that in many of the demonstrations that are. Are really based on a um, a faulty understanding or a lack of understanding of history and and um, and and reason. And so I think this is a the, I, i'm I'm really thankful that Cornerstone really takes this seriously and um, is intentional about developing the whole person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not pretending that you know, we're easily subdivided into pieces and parts, and that we only address one of those parts by attending a higher ed institution.
0: We have something here called Golden Eagle Days. How many of you students have come, came to, to a Golden Eagle Day? There it is. See, these, are, these are day admission days, when prospective students come and visit our campus with families, Golden Eagle Days. And over the last year and a half, I've shared with Golden Eagle participants and families some of the goals and outcomes we pursue at Cornerstone. And one of, them, one of them is a vibrant, flourishing relationship with Jesus Christ. The soul part. But then I also say, we can't make you do that. You have to own that yourself. So there's, a, there's an approach we have in Christianity, I think, where we, which is nothing wrong with it. We focus on systems, churches, institutions, higher ed, government, so on but you, you're also a champion of, well, I'll say, personal responsibility, and the importance of individual responsibility. So what advice would you give to us and to our students about not just the importance of soul formation in Christ, but the role we have as individuals to own that on our own? Whether there are institutions to support it or not, how do, what do we do as, as human beings, as people, to foster that?
1: Well, I think um, first of all, choosing to come to a university experience like Cornerstone is is a very good place to um, help develop that and to have that reinforced. And I think, um, you know, there there has been a uh, certainly a um, a move away in many um, parts of our society from. acknowledging that personal responsibility is an important element of formation and, um, and education and your own personal growth. And, um, and, I, and I think that to, to our detriment as, as a culture, society, and a country, um, because without uh, assuming responsibility for our own actions and decisions and choices, um, we end up with uh, more and more individuals um, blaming others and um, claiming victimhood when, in fact, um, many of the choices that could have been made before for one oneself um, would have uh, set them on a different trajectory. So, I mean, personal responsibility has got to be central to what uh, an education experience is. Um, and again, it, it, it really speaks to the importance of education. Viewing education as much more than just imparting facts and figures and, um, and uh, memorizing information. It, it really is developing the whole self and um, inclusive in that is the ability to take responsibility for oneself.
0: Betsy, thank you for all you've done. I'm new in this community, two and a half years but thank you for all that you and your family have done for West Michigan and for Grand Rapids, for our state, for the nation. Uh, We're about to close, but I wanna give you the last word. Uh, What would you share with our faculty, our staff, our students at Cornerstone from your vantage point? It's a very important time in history for our country, for the world, for our state. What are your parting words of wisdom for us that we can reflect on and think about?
1: Well, it is a a difficult, time in our nation's history um, but I have uh, I have great optimism that the rising generation is going to step into roles of leadership and um, responsibility that are going to help um, change that tra- trajectory. Um, I, one of my favorite verses from the Bible is Micah 6 verse 8 and I just leave you with it as uh, one that is uh easy to remember, hard to do, and that is to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And um, I think that kind of encapsulates both the responsibility and the opportunity that you all have, that we all have. And I just want to encourage you, as you continue your um, education, your whole person education, um, we need you, and uh, I look forward to seeing the, the wonderful ways in which you are going to step into um, this next uh, season of, of responsibility in, in, uh, in our world, in, in our country, and in our world. Thanks thank for the opportunity to be here. Carson, would you please join me in
0: thanking, thanking Secretary Betsy DeVos. Thank you, Se- thank you, thank you, thank you. Great to have you, thank you for coming, thank you for coming.